installment of Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter. We're discussing big ideas and innovation in life science. I'm Jeremy Schmerer, and I'm joined by Dr. Ryan LaRanger and Dr. Michael Boat. Today's podcast is inspired by a recent passing in my family following a lung transplant. While we won't get into those details specifically, we will be discussing organ transplants more broadly in terms of viability and innovation in the field. Michael, let's start with you in terms of what makes an organ transplant viable and how matches are determined. That is a, a good starting question because that's, uh, that's the, the first step that actually happens in, in these kinds of investigations. I, I think there's two major buckets that we should highlight here. The first one I think most people will know is blood type. Blood type is a very important marker. Um, if someone's blood type compatible, great, that's the first step. If they're not, um, it can, um, yeah, can prevent someone from donating uh, uh, organ tissue or an organ to, to another. So that's one. And we all, I think most people will know the different types of, of uh, uh, blood types. There's, of course, ones that are more rare than others. So that's something to keep in mind, right? So someone with uh, types AB, for instance, might be harder to find a match for than people who have type O. Then there's the second, uh, second element, uh, which we call uh, HLA, which is a um, human uh, leukocyte antigen. It's a sort of a historical naming, but basically it is a, uh, a molecule um, that is on all kinds of different uh, tissues and all kinds of different cells. And there's a lot of varieties of those. And so I think there's over a hundred. Uh, I, I haven't checked the, the latest information, um, so there's a lot of different combinations there. The thing is that from each of your parents, you inherit um, six antigens that matter for organ matching, and you get three from each parent. And so you can imagine with those uh, hundreds out there that finding an exact match for those six between patients can be very tricky, right? And the exception here is, of course, people that are identical twins, um, siblings, of course, because you get these from your parents, there's a higher chance that you're matching. So you see very often that families can donate organs to one another. Um, but for complete, any complete stranger to be an organ match is actually a, a small miracle, so to say. Ryan, what, what additions do you have to that initial explanation? <laughs> to, to that beautiful tapestry? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I, uh, I mean, like, that's great as is. I thought uh, what I might be able to contribute to this conversation a little bit might be talking about um, sort of the magnitude of the need and how some groups are trying to address this sort of moving forward, uh, if that would be okay. Yeah, of course. Marvelous. Good. So uh, we can actually break this down from the near term and practical, which people are working on, to uh, the sci-fi-esque world of true um, uh, organ engineering, which is something that I did a little bit of in my uh, PhD days. And oh, it was so much fun. Um, so in terms of the immediately practical, uh, a lot of transplantation is a logistics nightmare. Right. Uh, because, you know, with the kidney transplant field, I believe uh, in 2020, there were something like uh, 90,000 people in America on the wait list and only 20,000 transplants delivered. Right. Like that's bananas. Um, and a thing to keep in mind is that when a transplant is given from uh, thither to yon, as soon as the organ is outside of a patient's body, like as soon as that starts, clock starts ticking because the organ starts to die, 
right? You can slow that process, uh, but this is an imprecise science, right? It's the, the ultimate primitive version. You can imagine, you know, person in, bat, in bathtub with ice, et cetera, right? It's in, in movies. But um, these days it's a bit more sophisticated and there's actually innovation in that sophistication trying to develop better cold perfusion methods, right? Trying to develop better preservation solutions. All of these things are based around the idea of allowing that organ to survive for longer so that when it gets to the patient who, unless you're very lucky, <laughs> is probably not in the exact same location um, as the recipient, making it more likely that organ will be a success. The success, even after transplantation and after the one in a million perfect match, that's not guaranteed, right? Like there's a significant failure chance, uh, depending on your organ, it can be anything from 25 to much higher, right? So so one thing that's interesting that you mentioned, so it, it has to survive um, once it's, you know, kind of not part of a, a host or, or a body mm -hmm. for that moment. But likewise, if you're having your own organ removed isn't there the clock must be ticking even faster if you're without that organ so that has to be like a, a quick swap in swap yeah, out so that that's why i talk about it as a logistics thing right yeah. because uh for the donor right um if, if tragically many of them are recently deceased um but also in case so you know then obviously it's possible right to get that perfect match. But in cases where it's something like a kidney transplant and it's one of two and the person is alive and that's wonderful, or a liver transplant where, you know, it doesn't need to be uh, uh, post-life, if you like, um, then the transport time can be shorter, depending on, you know, severity, emergency needs, and so on. It makes, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think as part of that, I'd like to come back to Michael in terms of what actually is happening biologically in the body when that new organ is introduced, like in terms of um, cells and, and the connection and making sure that the body receives it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's actually fascinating. I, I think a lot of the research as well today is, is, is not really focused on organ transplant, but more understanding developmental biology at large, right? Because in most cases, we are not really sure how our own tissues are forming. And so understanding how a, a foreign tissue, so to say, from a different person would integrate into an existing system is even uh, more complicated. I would say, so that the first steps that I, that I told you about, they're really the, the selection criteria, right? You do that before the actual transplant. What then happens as a uh, sort of preparation is that usually people are given um, inflammatory suppressants, so steroids, for instance. Why? In most cases, there is, even though you match someone on the most important criteria, these things that I mentioned, there are still going to be differences between people's tissue that can alarm the immune system to some extent. And so this is an inflammation process. And so to make sure that the, the recipient is not going to flag anything too um, heavily, usually people get some kind of immune suppression to be able to accept that better. If that if all goes well there, what you'll see is that there's not going to be much of a red flag from the body in terms of immune response. And this could be, in some cases, antibodies are particularly important in this response, but also cellular responses where your immune cells will detect, hey, this is not something that's my own body. 
this is something that I should not accept. And so there's a lot of different cell types and a lot of mediators of immunity, so to say, involved in that process, both on the very short term. So immediate responses, which we call in this case an innate immune system for some of our listeners that have had some basic immunology <laughs> versus something, some things that take longer. So think of an allergic reaction that can be a few days later, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be in the course of days to weeks. And so each of those steps has have different um, cells involved and different modulations of the body of the recipient can be used to reduce those risks as you go. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a good explanation. I'm kind of thinking of like air traffic control, you know, talking to planes that are flying in the air to create like a soft landing or to open the gates so that, you know, you can come in here and, and be welcomed into the body, <laughs> to put it in layman's terms. To, to some degree, yeah. I mean, part of the issue is, though, um, with transplants, depending on obviously the donor and the match, uh, to some degree, you're going to have to be on immunosuppressants forever, basically, um, when you've taken a transplant. And that, that's part of the challenge, right? And, and this also gets to um, to go in the complete opposite direction in terms of tissue engineering, right? We're, we're skipping over some of the middle steps, but we'll get to them, I swear. Um, one of the things that a couple of groups are working on, and in a couple of cases, it's actually been very successful, uh, has been the engineering of tissue or uh, replacement organs from a patient's own cells to affect a, because if it's your cells, uh, <laughs> if it's your cells, then you don't need a rejection response, right? It's, you necessarily won't have one. Now, when people think of these experiments, they uh, immediately think of an organ like, oh, an organ, like a heart or a lung or a kidney. Um, And these are possible, but uh, there's a lot of really, really exciting research going on in them. It's a bit of a ways away because just technically, you know, those are very complex organs. But what about something like a blood vessel, an artery, right? So uh, there have been some groups, um, uh, Nicholson in particular at Yale is, has famously been doing this for years, where they just make a scaffold of um, an artery and your cells populate that scaffold after it's transplanted and then there's no rejection, right? Now, obviously we don't necessarily think of artery at first when we think of organ, but there you are. Um, bladders, engineered bladders as well, are one of those tissues where it's simple, it's straightforward, and it's something that can be engineered or pseudo-engineered. Um, let, let me pause there. I'd be curious to hear Michael's thoughts on this, and then we can talk a little bit about developmental biology and xenotransplantation. Yeah, I think it's, a, as you say, an interesting field. I, I, I agree that um, in, in some cases, not completely sure how, how far along these, these technologies are. I think there's also some intermediates here to highlight. There's things and treatments that can be done with certain tissues before transplanting them to make that landing, as you say, uh, Jeremy, a bit more soft or to, to guide the traffic uh, a, a bit more. This could be um, training your immune system in a way to not flag those responses, potentially um, removing certain cell types from the tissue or pre-treating the organ to make sure that the most, uh, the reddest flags, because <laughs> it's not it just just red flags, there's different shades here, the ones that, that would alarm the immune system most, that those are removed. So there's also some, some um, buzz going on there. I think what, what is, of course, the a, a big solution here is, is using own material. 
one thing to highlight there is is even though you could use your own material, the connection between a certain tissue, an actively living and growing tissue, and the material that was not part of that system, it doesn't mean that it's because it's your own tissue, it will work. As Ryan said earlier, there's a lot more complicated interactions, integration, acceptance, even though um, there's no reason for the immune system to be alarmed. There can be a, a lack of biological response to a certain tissue or integration um, that can, that can um, make that more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it really does seem like whether it's coming from your own tissue, your own body, or someone else's, organ transplants are endlessly complex um, because there's so many uh, responses from your body to say, hey, we don't recognize this, and this is, this is going to be a problem, as similar to fighting off a, a disease or a pathogen or something. Um, Ryan, back to you for any closing thoughts. We're kind of coming up on time a little bit. Oh, I know. It's just if I didn't mention uh, humanized pigs, I would. I feel like the transplant community, such as it is, would destroy me. By all <laughs> means, please. So another approach, because it, it's the, the supply problem is huge, right? Like that's people are on the wait list for way too long, and being on the wait list that long can lead to really tragic health outcomes, and it's terrible. Uh, Exactly. Um, but what I would say is there's some genetic engineering methods being used such that pigs show instead of pig antigens, human antigens. And what they're working on right now are these so-called humanized pigs and using their organs for transplantation into humans. There have actually been some examples of this being done and successfully with humans. Um, it's still very early days. Uh, there was a recent, uh, the pig, yeah, oh, yes. Well, I, I wanted to ask, when you say about these successes, are there certain organs that are, are more prone to working in that scenario? Prone to working is a really, uh, that prone is doing a lot of work there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> more uh, likely? Right, yeah, it, it's so for the human trials, it's sort of, to my understanding, it's more sort of on an as-needed basis. Um, generally speaking, when I think about organs and likelihood of success, the more structural that organ is, so like your kidneys, um, your livers, uh, the more likely it is to do well, the more dependent on sort of fine uh, anything, uh, either movement or control or uh, repeated contraction, heart being the big one. Um, the harder it's going to be to get to work. So the heart transplant worked for a while, but the, tragically the recipient died. Uh, but, I, but I meant from from the pig perspective, when you're talking about that, you know, relationship between um, human oh, and pig. Oh, 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 <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter. For the purposes of humanization, it doesn't matter because it's a genetic engineering trick, right? It's use it. CRISPR, you uh, just replace that replace as it were the pig antigens with the human antigens and then every single cell in its body is ostensibly exactly the same in terms of antigen presentation gotcha thank you um, <laughs> sorry i completely yeah I, I think i think we kind of misfired there for a little bit <laughs> first time in about 70 episodes or so hey you know that's happened eventually <laughs> no worries michael your thoughts yeah i think uh i think the there's there's a lot to say about the the humanized uh, tissues and, and humanized organs. 
Um, one thing I'm particularly curious about, um, and, and I know it's a, a hot topic as well, is more looking into the developmental biology, right? So understanding those pluripotent stem cells or stem cells as, as they are, grow them into organoids. I feel there's a lot of progress being made there. I'm not sure still where that's, where are going to be those milestones where we would feel comfortable to try these kinds of um, transplantations. But I, I do feel that that there's a lot of investing in that. And that is for me, one of the key ways of, of trying to learn more, not only about the biology, but also learning more about um, sort of the impact of transplant and of different tissues across different animals and across uh, human to human. Um, yeah. It's just, it's such a complicated field. I, I, it, uh, organ engineering, especially sort of in the biomedical engineering space, it feels a little fusion-esque where, you know, it's always five years away. <laughs> Yeah, I can certainly appreciate that having, you know, had that experience in the family, you know, recently, it, it certainly is just a, a field that leaves us all asking questions. And it doesn't seem like the answers are, are that near term, but it does give me a little bit of, um, you know, it makes me feel better knowing that there are solutions that are in the works and things are continuing to, to get better for those that are still on those lists and, you know, fighting for, for a new organ. But that is all the time we're going to have for today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and perhaps it was informative. If you are not a subscriber already, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Until then, you know, thanks for, for listening and we'll see you next time.